our series that we're in is called LUI, Living Under the Influence. And uh, we're talking about living our lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And today we come to Ephesians chapter 6 and we're talking about parents and children. So um, how many of you are parents or grandparents? Can I see your hands? Raise them high. Yeah, lots of parents. You can put your hands down. How many of you are children? And by that I mean you live under your parents' roof and they supply your food and clothing and shelter and a bed and basically you owe them everything. Can I see your hands? Okay. Got some students in here. It's been great to have our middle school and high schoolers in uh, celebrations with us the last several weeks. Well, kids are so cute, aren't they? At least when they're small. The little babies that were up here earlier, so cute, so precious. And then they grow up and things change a little bit, but one church had its uh, elementary age children write letters to their pastor. And so some of these came in and one kid wrote, Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but you never met my sister. Yours truly, Arnold, age eight. <laughs> Another one wrote, Dear Pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson. Sincerely, Pete, age nine. Here's another one. Dear Pastor, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know that my brother won't be there. Stephen, age eight, Chicago. <laughs> uh, and then this one. Dear Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. Ralph, age 11. So maybe some of you are thinking that today. But uh, Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, kind of the classic New Testament passage on spirit-filled parenting, spirit-filled family life. And uh, once you've gotten there, I'd like you to read it out loud with me. It'll appear on the screens as well. Let's read this aloud together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, I guess message on parenting, I need to start with some disclaimers and a few observations. Um, I'm not a perfect parent. Don't look so smug, you aren't either. My kids are not perfect, far from it. Neither are yours. Um, you know, parenting these days has a whole new set of challenges that I think our parents or grandparents could hardly have even fathomed. MySpace, cell phones, social networking, Internet. I mean, just, it's a different era, isn't it? It is a challenging era to be a parent, no doubt about that. And I need to tell you, the biblical standard for parenting is very high. God sets it very high. I'd be doing you a disservice if I lowered it today to make all of us feel better. It's high. And I think that we just need to rely on God's grace to cover our shortcomings. We found ourselves praying a lot over the years, God, make up for us. <laughs> make up for our gaps. Make up for our shortcomings. We're doing the best we can, but we need your help. Most parents I know are doing their best. They really are, but they often feel like they weren't really trained for it, and sometimes they feel like failures. A lot of parents I know feel like failures at times. But despite all that, we just need to, to 
come to grips with the fact that parenting is very, very, very important. Parenting matters. One man said this. He said, Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. If we fail to pass on the baton of the faith, the historic Orthodox Christian faith to our kids, then we're just one generation away from extinction. My younger boys are both reading in the Bible these days. They're reading in the Old Testament. One of them came up to me about two weeks ago and said, Dad, what's with the Israelites? I mean, here they're following God and fearing God and obeying His commandments in one generation, and then, you know, it reads, but the next generation did not know the God of their fathers and turned away from Him to worship false idols, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you see this cycle repeating repeating itself over and over and over again. And he's like, what's with the Israelites? And I thought, you know, that can happen. If, if parents do not pass the faith on to the next generation, the, the cause can be lost. And so parenting matters. It really does. i got to tell you, I, giving this message today, I am just exercising amazing, incredible self-restraint. Because studying this, I've got like a five-hour talk on this. And, but you can relax, because I will stay true to our time constraints today. So much rich stuff in here. We'll post some stuff on our website this week for those of you who are parents. I'm going to hold myself back and just give you three pillars of spirit-filled family life. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 6. Three pillars. Here they are. Number one, children obey and honor their parents. Sounds like heaven, huh? Number two, parents create a climate of encouragement in their homes. And the third pillar is parents get intentional about the spiritual training of their children. So there's the sermon in a nutshell. (laughs) But I actually want to say a few more things about those things. So, number one, what's going on in a spirit-filled family is this. Children are obeying and honoring their parents. That's what it says. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. God wrote the book on right. Not just outward behavior, but then honor. That's an attitude. Honor your father and mother. Which is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you. Students, if you want it to go well with you. That your life may be long on the earth. That you may enjoy long life. So quality of life and quantity of life are tied to how well you learn to live under authority. Something that God charges parents with teaching young children in the home. Children obey and honor their parents. To quote that distinguished sage, Nick Wilbacher, who up here on the stage as a senior a few weeks ago, looked out at his classmates when asked to give them some advice and said, listen to your parents. (laughs) Remember that? Listen to your parents. They've been around the block a few times. Listen to them. To the collective rolling of eyes and groans of his classmates, he said that. And all the parents cheered. The word obey here, children obey your parents, literally means to listen under. To be under authority and to listen with the intent to carry out your parents' instructions. Now this happens every day in your home, doesn't it? In the morning, your son or daughter comes to you and and says, Oh, Father... Wouldst thou tell me now what I mightest do today in order to pleasest thou, that thou mightest have a wonderful day on account of me? 
Is that said in your home? <laughs> the truth about yeah, we wish. The truth about this is is that children need to be taught and trained in this area of obedience and honoring. Do they not? Why? Why do kids buck their parents? Because of that same bent towards sin within that we have and that we pass on to them. There's something in them that is bent towards sin and rebellion and selfishness and doing it my way. And then our culture kind of fans that into flames, doesn't it? culture that, you know, promotes questioning authority and defying authority and celebrating rebellion. And so kids have to be trained, not just taught. You know, if it was a matter of just quoting this verse to your children every day, now kids, Ephesians 6.1 says, children obey your parents. If that just worked, that would make it quite simple. But we found in our family that we have to not just teach it, we had to train obedience into the lives of our children. We gave our best effort to that. Training. Training our children to honor and obey. You know, sometimes parents inadvertently train their children to disobey. I was at the park the other day. I have a few places in town that when the weather's nice, I I go out and pray. And as I was arriving, there was a a mom and her daughter there, probably a four- or five-year-old daughter, and they were playing and having a good time. And then mom said, Okay, honey, Time to go now. It's time to go home. Daddy's waiting for us. And the little girl looked at her mom and said, I'm not ready to go. And the mom said, Oh, no, honey, come on. We need to go home now. It's time. And the daughter said, I want to play some more. I'm not ready to go. And the mother got a little bit flustered, and she said, Well, I guess I'm going to have to count then. I'm going to count to three. One, two. No movement at all on the part of her daughter. Mom never got to three. Then she started really getting flustered. We need to go now. The daughter said, I'm not going now. I want to play some more. And the mom thought, and she said, well, then I guess I'm going to have to eat ice cream all by myself. Now, the daughter did pause a little bit at that moment. Then she thought, no, I want to play some more. Finally, the mom got so flustered that she just started walking away towards her house. And the daughter continued to play on the jungle gym there. And finally, in her own time, she started meandering her way, following her mother, As if to say, I will play as long as I want, and I am on my timetable, not yours. And I saw that, and I thought back to me with my parents growing up. I thought back to when our children were littler in some of those same kind of scenarios. Son, stop that. I said, stop that. Are you hard of hearing? Stop that, I said. Do you want to be grounded? Do you want to be grounded all summer? Do you want to miss family vacation this year? Stop that! I'll never forget sitting in a parenting class a number of years ago where the, the, the instructor said, you know what, if you do that, that kind of thing, you are known as a threatening, repeating parent, and you are actually training your children to disobey. You're training them to disobey you because they're getting this thought. Dad doesn't really mean it until he's getting all red in the face and yelling, and then he means it. So I can not listen and not obey for a while until I know Dad really means it. And then he proceeded to teach us how to train in first-time obedience. First-time obedience. You know, it's crucial that we train our kids to honor and obey authority. 
It is, when they're young. Because if we don't, excuse the phrase, there will be hell to pay. If our children don't learn to live under authority, that's going to affect them their whole lives. They're going to wreak havoc on society if they don't learn to live under authority. Dr. Howard Hendricks was here a few years back, and he shocked a lot of us when he looked out at us and said, nothing will compensate for parental failure in this area. And I would add, only the grace of God. Only the grace of God. The book of Proverbs says that a chronically disobedient child who never learns to obey will end up being a grief to his mother, a sorrow to his father, and a disgrace to his family. It's critical that we as parents do our best under the guidance of the Holy Spirit whom we desperately need in this effort to train our kids to honor and obey. One thing we can always do, no matter what stage of parenting we're at, is pray. Pray, pray, pray for your kids. So that's the first pillar. The next one has to do with the kind of climate that we create in our homes. Okay? It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And that word means to provoke them or discourage them to the point of losing heart. And so the opposite of that would be a a climate of encouragement in the home. And so pillar number two, parents create a climate of encouragement. It's interesting to me that the word Paul uses for fathers here could be translated parents and especially fathers. And parents, we need to be keenly aware that we create the tone in our home, don't we? We create the, the environment, the climate, the atmosphere in our home. And he says, don't, don't create the kind of climate that exasperates your children. My wife always says, well, where's the verse that says, you know, children, don't exasperate your parents? That should probably be in there too, but... Don't frustrate them to the point they lose heart. Sometimes when you find a a chronically angry or a chronically depressed kid, this is what's at the root of it, that kind of a climate in the home. So what kind of parenting exasperates kids? I've been keeping a collection over the years from researchers who are looking into this. Check this out. Smothering overprotection. Or the other side of that, spoiling with too much freedom. Playing favorites. Among your kids, that's exasperating to them. Pressuring them to achieve, being overly critical, reversing roles with your kids. One foreigner who came to our country after observing families for a while said, I'm amazed here in the U.S. how parents obey their children. (laughs) Who's the parent? Who's the kid here? We exasperate our kids when we express conditional love, when we vicariously try to live our lives through them. You know how that works. You know, we didn't get to fulfill our dreams, so we try to live them through our kids, pressure them in that regard. We exasperate children by making them feel unwanted. By excessive, overbearing discipline or inconsistent discipline. How about this one? This is the one I've been learning the last few years. By failing to adapt our parenting style to their current stage of development exasperating to children when we treat our 17-year-olds the same way we treated them when they were 12 or when they were 8. You know, our kids need different things from us as parents as they progress through their stages of development, don't they? I'm indebted to a writer named Bob Hostetler who wrote an article on this called The Four Stages of Parenting, and he, he makes a pretty strong case for how as parents we need to go from commander in the early years to coach, to counselor, to 
to consultant and how that, that changes the, the tone and the environment we create with our kids as we recognize they're growing up. They need a different style of parenting now than they did a few years ago. It was so good I printed it out and I put it down here on this uh, music stand. So at the end of the service, if you'd like to pick that up and explore that concept a little bit more, I hope that you will. Because when we fail to do that, we exasperate our children. Then the last one, levying lots of rules without investing in the relationship. I think it was Bill Gothard that I first heard say this many, many years ago. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. To have a home environment with all kinds of rules, and as a parent, not investing in the relationship with your child is bound to lead to rebellion. Fathers, parents, don't exasperate your children. Create a climate of encouragement in the home. Catch them doing something right. God calls us to cultivate a climate that motivates our kids to want to respect us, to emulate our character, and most importantly, to follow our Savior, Jesus. They want to know Him. And we set the tone. The third pillar of a Spirit-filled family talks about how parents need to get intentional about training their children. Parents get intentional about spiritual training. Instead, it says, instead of exasperating them, bring them up. Bring them up. Raise them up. That's an intentional word, isn't it? And notice the two indispensable tools for bringing them up, for getting intentional. Do you see them? Bring them up in the what? The training and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 29.15 says it a little differently. It says, The rod and reproof bring wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Two tools for intentionally raising up our children. The rod and reproof, discipline and discussion, training and instruction. Do you see these? Let's talk about the first one, discipline that works. Discipline that works. He says train your children. Bring training. The word has to do with the idea of correcting wrong attitudes and correcting wrong actions. Discipline. And so, of course, whenever this subject comes up, the uh, issue of spanking comes up, doesn't it? And you say, well, you know, in our culture, these days, spanking is tantamount to what? Child abuse. That's right. Frowned upon. And, of course, there probably is an excessive sort of spanking that could be classified as child abuse. We're not talking about that. You say, do you believe in spanking? Yeah. Yes. When children are young, they need spanked. If you have a beef with that, your beef's not with me. It's with the Word of God. The rod and reproof give instruction. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, the writer says, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. God says if you're a parent, use an instrument. Don't use your hand. Use an instrument, a rod, something. And apply some painful consequences to the backside of your child sufficient to give them pause the next time they're thinking about doing that same thing or following that same course of behavior. 
This is the word of God to parents. The rod. Create a painful consequence for poor choices or attitudes. Now, I do think that as children get older, we need to not humiliate them by spanking them. You wouldn't hopefully spank your 15-year-old. I believe spanking is for when they're younger. As they grow older, you need to find other methods of applying painful consequences. Like some parents I know who withhold privileges. Taking away television privileges. Cell phone privileges. And the the student says, no, anything but that. Put me on the rack. I don't care. Just don't take my cell phone away from me. I've got to text. Taking away driving privileges. Money. The idea is to assign a consequence to a poor choice that is sufficiently painful that the child will think twice before he does it again. I remember one pretty stern conversation I had with one of my children whose initials shall remain a mystery a few years ago. It's a hard talk. There had been an attitude cropping up in his life for a while, and the normal modes of discipline and correction weren't working. So one day I sat him down. I said, son, look me in the eye. I'm talking to you right now as a dad, as a parent. I'm not your friend. I'm your dad. This behavior has got to stop. This attitude that you've been expressing must stop today. I am going to be your worst nightmare, I told him. If this doesn't stop. It's like, but Dad, I thought you were my friend. I'm not your friend. I'm your parent. I'll be your friend someday. Right now, I'm your parent. This has got to stop. I said, you know that bank account you've been working so hard to build up? I will drain that thing dry. You watch me. You can log on every day and look at the balance and watch it go down as long as you keep expressing this attitude. It's got to change. Do you understand me? Do you understand me? He said, I understand you. And he began to change because he didn't want to see his bank account run dry because of his dad. Now, if you think, oh, you're a harsh, mean dad, then you don't have any strong-willed children. Your children are all compliant and wonderful and everything. I think you need to get a real kid (laughs) to challenge you and bring this out of you. Man. Strong-willed kids are tough. You've got to get in their face. You've got to find their button. That thing that matters to them, that if you take that away, it gets their attention. And they say, okay, I'm listening now. And of course, then you've got to follow through, right? Follow through. Follow through. Other parents take a different tack on this, and they use these opportunities to impart stronger work habits, like... Because of your stinky, rebellious attitude, you've got to mow the grass for the next five years, okay? And they impart that kind of thing. You know, I think we need to learn to use negative consequences and positive reward. Our Heavenly Father does that with us, both. Some kids are more motivated by the, the incentive of positive reward. Well, let's use that. Because what gets rewarded gets repeated. And if that's the behavior we want to see, then we ought to reward it. But we also need to learn how to apply... Painful discipline as well. God does that with us, and godly parents learn how to do the same. So, corrective discipline is part of training. 
but it's not the only part. He says the rod and reproof, training and instruction, talking, discussion. Let's talk about that for a moment. This is probably an underutilized parenting tool, especially by dads. I talked to a friend recently who was bemoaning the fact that his dad never taught him about money. And, he, you know, their family's always in financial turmoil because they didn't get that growing up from, from their parents. He said, man, I wish my dad had taught me about money. And now he's, you know, learning all he can so that he can pass on to his kids. Sound, wise, financial principles for living, living your life. So where do you want your kids to learn about money and finances? Where do you want your children to learn about relationships and friendship? Where do you want your kids to learn about sex? From the locker room at middle school? Or from you? Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. You say, I don't know what, where to even start with that. Start with the book of Proverbs which is literally a parenting manual. Read it to your children. Read it with your children. Read it on tape and play it for them as they go to sleep at night. Or put it on their iPod now, I guess, these days. Proverbs 2, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Find the knowledge of God. Chapter 3, my son, this is a father training his son in wisdom and truth. Do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart. They will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Chapter 4, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention. Gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. Chapter 5, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion. It will keep you from the lips of an adulteress that drip honey. Son, I'm going to teach you about loose women that you're going to encounter out there in the world. Chapter 6, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've co-signed a note, If you struck hands in pledge for another, if you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, to free yourself since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go and humble yourself and press your plea with your neighbor. The father teaching his son about financial transactions. Chapter 7, my son, keep my words, store up my commands within you. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. We are to teach our children the truth of the Word of God and the wisdom of the Word of God. And parents, it's, it's your responsibility. Home Depot, right? You can do it. We can help. But it's your responsibility. Our awesome children's ministries and student ministries can come alongside and reinforce what you're teaching and help. We only have them a few hours a week. You've got them all through the week. It's your responsibility to teach your children the truth of God's Word. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, it says. Of the Lord. 
Deuteronomy 6 tells parents to be teaching their kids all the time and to use teachable moments and to become good storytellers. I try to tell my kids stories a lot. told them one last night just to impart wisdom, to impart truth. Sometimes even our discipline needs to contain elements of discussion. Son, daughter, do you understand what you did wrong? Can you explain it to me? Do you understand why we have that rule in our family? Do you know that I love you no matter what? Discipline and discussion. Twin parenting tools that complement each other. Okay? And there's a third one I need to mention real quick. That has to do with our daily life as parents, how we live our lives. Deuteronomy 6 says this, God says to parents, these commands that I give you today shall be upon your hearts, then you can impress them on your children and talk about them. How we live our daily lives probably communicates more than our words, whether or not we are the real deal, whether or not we have the real thing. The tool of discipline, the tool of discussion, and the tool of our daily life, how we live. So let me ask you a few convicting questions this morning, parent to parent. Do your kids ever stumble in and catch you reading the Bible or praying? Do they ever see that in your life? Does your choice of entertainment reflect the values that you say you believe in? Do you ever admit that you're wrong to your kids? Ah, son, daddy blew it. Honey, mommy blew it. That was wrong. Would you please forgive us? Do you ever do that? Do your children see you committed to pursuing God? connecting with a team, serving others together? Do they see your church involvement as a priority in your life? Do they see you doing the three habits? Would your kids say that you wrap your life around Jesus or that you just try to fit Jesus into your already busy life? One of my sons a few years ago was going through that stage where he's trying to individuate and become independent and kind of separate from us and challenge our values. And he looked at me one day and he said, Dad, God is just too important to you. I took it as a compliment. I said, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. Guilty as charged. Because I want to live it. I want to live it. If my kids don't get it, If it doesn't get passed on, I don't want it to be because I didn't live it. I'm not a perfect Christian. I'm not a perfect parent. Not even close. My kids aren't perfect, but I want you to know I take comfort in two things today. One is this. The final chapter hasn't yet been written in their lives. Don't you take comfort in that? When they're 9 or 12 or 14 or 17 and... Maybe things aren't going very well. Whenever I talk with parents who have a wayward or rebellious teenager and they don't know what to do, I always say two things. I say, first off, don't underestimate the power of your prayers. Pray, pray, pray. Do not stop praying for your kids. And then I say, and remember this, the final chapter hasn't been written yet. You can't take a slice out of their life at the age of 15 or 17 or 19 and say that's their life. No, there's still many chapters to be written. As long as there's breath in their lungs, as long as there's a God in heaven, there's hope. There's hope for your son or daughter. 
And the second thing I take a lot of comfort in is the fact that the Bible says that children are like arrows, like arrows in our quiver. And what does an archer do? He takes the arrow out of his quiver and he what? He aims it and then he releases it. I really believe that's what we're supposed to do with our kids. By God's grace, living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, do our best to aim. Aim our kids at the target of a God-centered life. Do our best for 18 years or more. And then release them. And then it's their job and God's job to get them to the target. I take great comfort in that. You know, Howard Hendricks said this once. He said, you cannot evaluate your parenting task until your children have finished their parenting task. And all the parents exhaled. So when my kids have finished parenting their kids, then maybe I'll start thinking about how well I did as a parent or how well we did as parents. But until then, I'm going to withhold judgment on myself and we ought to withhold judgment on each other, don't you think? The final chapter hasn't been written yet. Well, there's so much more, but I'm going to stop there. Uh, like I said, check out our website this week. Brand new website, and we'll, put some, we'll post some things on there, including this piece up here and some others that maybe will be helpful to you. But here's how I want to close today. I'm going to ask all of our dads once again to stand, and we're going to have a moment here where we pray for all of our fathers. So if you're a dad, would you please stand right now? And we recognized and applauded for you earlier, and now we want to pray for all of our dads. You know, for about 40 years, dads have been taking a beating in our culture. Back to the Archie Bunker days, I guess, maybe. (laughs) Where we're just stereotyped and pictured as, you know, weak, faltering, bumbling idiots in the media. And um, I resent that, don't you? I don't appreciate that at all. Dads are great. Dads have a heavy weight on their shoulders. Heavyweight. Not only the providing side for the family, but as Pastor Brian talked about last week, the challenges of marriage and parenting, raising children. And I want us to just as a church support our dads today through prayer. And we need it, don't we guys? We need it. And so... uh, The rest of you, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to make your way towards a dad that's standing around you. If you need to get up out of your chair, do that. You can reach out and just touch him and put your hand on his shoulder or his elbow, his arm. Just start praying for him. Just pray that God would give him strength and wisdom and he would take seriously the challenges that we found in the Word of God this morning. I want every man to have two or three people praying. So... You all are going to have to get a little bit, little bit more aggressive. Okay, Move towards some guys. If you're a man and you don't, have any, you don't feel anybody's hand on your shoulder, raise your hand right now so that others can move towards you. To our Daddy in Heaven, our Abba, Father, thank you for calling us dads to be your sons. Thank you for parenting us, Father. You're the perfect parent, providing, protecting, caring, disciplining, 
praise you for that. May we as your sons accept these things from you. Lord, I pray for all of us dads who are standing here today. We need you. We just we say it. We, we need God. We need each other. Others need us. We need you. Lord, we need mentors so often. Many dads in the room didn't get, didn't have a good model growing up and are a little confused and unsure about what it means to be a great dad. Lord, help us to look in our small groups and in our men's ministry, Lord, and to spiritual partners to help. We need mentors. And we need to dive into your book and embrace the role that you have given us, Lord. We declare today that we need your strength, we need your wisdom, your insight. We, we often need your forgiveness, Lord. Help us to parent in ways that don't exasperate our children, but create that climate of encouragement. Give us the fortitude to train our children to obey and to honor authority, and that will serve them well the remainder of their days. And Lord, help us, help us to get intentional about training our children, not just delegate that to mom. Help us to get in the game. And Lord, when it's all said and done, help us to release our children into your hands. And oh, how we pray that you would get them to the target. We do. We pray this. And we pray it in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.